Safer staffing, healthier staff. How can we ensure that happens? We talked about that at the NTI 2019. Let's find out what we discussed. All right. Hello and welcome to the Critical Care Practitioner Podcast. I'm John White and we're here at NTI in Orlando, Florida, the annual conference of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. I just attended one of the first conference sessions titled Using Our Voice and Big Data to Advocate for Appropriate Staffing, and I'm here speaking with the authors and co-presenters of that session, Dr. Nancy Blake and Gail Luker. Nancy and Gail, welcome to the Critical Care Practitioner Podcast. Would both of you be so kind as to introduce yourselves? Uh, Gail, we'll start with you. Okay, thank you. My name is Gail Luker. I am the Operations Manager for Nursing Resources at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And I'm uh, Dr. Nancy Blake. I'm the currently the Chief Nursing Officer at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, but was previously the Director of Critical Care Services at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And our talk was speaking about what we did at Children's Hospital. But I'm, I'm uh, pleased to say that the County of Los Angeles has also purchased Cerner Clairvia and we'll be implementing it in the next two to three years. Fantastic. And you already mentioned something that I was going to talk about. So we're going to be talking about healthy work environments and nurse staffing in general. But we are also going to be mentioning uh, Cerner and Clairvia. So I just want to clarify for the audience, um, do either of you have any um, disclosures to make prior? No, no disclosures. Okay, and I don't either. Um, so, uh, Nancy, uh, what is your what is your involvement been with AACN? Uh, your work with I know that you've done a lot of stuff. If I if anyone searches Google for your name, you're going to find all sorts of different papers and and all sorts of different things that you've done for AACN. So, what is your involvement been with the organization? Um, what have you done with uh, healthy work environments specifically? Um, and obviously, we're going to sort of hone in on uh, appropriate staffing here soon. Sure. Um, I was on the board of directors from 2003 to 2006. The healthy work environment standards were rolled out in 2005. In 2004, I participated in a research study done by Janie Heath, looking at the review of the literature to make sure that the healthy work environment standards as they were developed by the workforce. And the chair of that committee was Connie Barden, who's our current chief clinical officer at AACN. Um, and make sure that it matched what the review of the literature on the different standards were. And um, that article was published in Jonah in 2004. But it did show that previous problems in critical care showed that the healthy work environment standards might meet that need as they move forward. Since that time, um, I realized on the board I needed to make sure my house was in order. So I went back to Children's Hospital Los Angeles and did some consulting there to look at healthy work environment standards but, um, and tools and tips because I think that that's what people have problems with is where do I begin. I've also done a lot of publications. I'm the chair, uh, the section editor of the AECN Advanced Critical Care Section on Healthy Workplace. Um, but I've also done many symposiums for um, AACN on healthy work environments and I'm doing another talk tomorrow on how to implement them because I think people don't know where to start. So some for each one of the standards, I have some suggested uh, items that you can do. Great. So for a little bit of clarification for me and maybe for the audience, so both of you come from a pediatric environment. So we're not really necessarily talking about adults per se in most of this conversation. Is that correct? I mean, I'm in a pediatric environment now as the chief nurse yeah, and okay. see 
the similarities in the healthy work environment standards, especially staffing. Right. I think um, depending on where you are, the problems are the same yep. no matter where you are. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah exactly. De- definitely, <laughs> definitely. But there are also some distinctions, uh, certainly when we get into some of this conversation right. between yes. adults and, and uh, kids. Um, so the overarching theme of the interview is going to be revolving around safe and appropriate staffing. Um, in the um, conversation that you just had or the presentation they just had, you talked a little bit about the, at the beginning about um, sort of the challenges that you have specifically in California, challenges or maybe not challenges that you have specifically in California and then overall um, across the country uh, in the U.S. sort of where we see um, the number of nurses being, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years from now. Um, so just for the audience, because the audience is international um, and maybe one or both of you can talk on this, uh, states within the U.S. don't all operate in the same manner. So um, just sort of th- throwing that out to you, okay. can you talk about that a little bit? I'll talk about that. Sure. Um, this is Nancy. And um, the state of California um, has many things that go through our legislature that have to do with labor workforce, especially for nurses. And um, in, uh, I believe, 2004, um, AB 408, I think, was the standard. I may not have it correctly. Was the statute, the a Senate bill, Assembly bill, that was passed to put um, uh, ratios into the law? It didn't say what the ratios were, so they gave it to Department of Health Services. Interestingly enough, Department of Health Services hired a nurse who hadn't worked in a hospital in a long time and hired medical students to follow nurses to determine what the ratio should be. Mm. We know medical students don't know what nurses do. So the ratios were not only at all times, which means when people go on breaks, you have to keep the ratios. And they're different from um, patient type. Um, from ICU is one to one, one to two. ED is one to four, no matter what kind of patient you have. So if you have a patient, pediatric patient with a diaper rash, they're treated the same as somebody who comes in with abdominal pain. Um, yeah, but it was the first state to mandate ratios. Our, law, our state law in California, which is one of the states in the United States, also has an acuity um, requirement that you have to have an acuity classification tool that you check the validation every year, that staff nurses are involved in that validation, and that um, you have to staff by acuity. So there's a new law that's being introduced now that's moving forward that says you staff by acuity unless you fall below ratios, which is what most of the hospitals that have had uh, uh, in California have been doing. Um, interestingly enough, there are five states, I don't know exactly what they are, New York is one of them, that has ratio law, and last year it did lose and didn't become law in Massachusetts. There was a lot of work that was done with the nurses talking to their legislative staff about the issues that have occurred, but um, that bill got voted down. So there still are five states that have ratios, and in different states in um, the United States, they, uh, there are hospitals that staff based on a grid. If you have 10 patients, you need five nurses. doesn't take into acu- account the acuity of the patients, whether they're really sick or not. So, um, you know, that is a problem that AECN is working on looking at staffing and healthy work environments. Yeah, and staffing mm-hmm. ratios is a whole other conversation <laughs> right. in and of itself. I'm and not a fan of the, <laughs> of the numbers <laughs> game. <laughs> and there are many people who argue both sides. Right. Absolutely. So that would be a great conversation. And um, I actually have, d- I, I teach at UCLA, and I'm teaching the DNP students of public policy 
and their debating ratio or no ratio. There's a, a team that's writing a paper, Absolutely. a policy paper right. on ratios versus right. no ratios. Right. And right. Staffing to acuity would be the best possible. Yeah, that would be ideal. And right. we're gonna, yeah, and we're gonna get into that for sure. And then, sort of looking forward in terms of uh, the number of nurses available, just in general. You talked a little bit about that in the presentation. Sure. Yes. Um, there is a white paper that was just put out by Health Impact in California. And it's got statistics across the country, but it shows in, I believe, 2022, there'll be, um, California will be 22,000 nurses short based on primarily people retiring. Uh, but because of the work environments, there are people leaving nursing and going to work in a completely different field, which makes me sad because we need as many nurses as we can. But um, the Health Impact White Paper that was published last year actually has a lot of details about the statistics nationally, but specifically looks at the problem in California. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, it's definitely an issue across the country. I think it, depending on where you are in the country, uh, it's more or less of a problem. Um, and, and definitely, uh, you mentioned people leaving the bedside uh, for a variety of issues, some of them being just the work environment itself. I certainly see that as a bed bedside nurse. Um, and, and I think all of us who work bedside and love what we do would like to find, help find ways to stop that um, because right. we love the people we work with <laughs> and we want to keep them there. Right. <laughs> right. And we want to be able to show the value of those bedside nurses and right. what it means so that they do want to stay at the bedside. Yes. So uh, I'll let you to pick uh, sort of who wants to talk about this a little bit. So we'll get into the technology um, uh, of Clairvia and sort of what you've done uh, up to this point. So can you tell us a little bit at a high level about the technology and use and maybe we can kind of go from there talk get into some details. I'll let Gail do that. Okay, so yes, absolutely. So we implemented the staffing and acuity piece at our facility in 2014. And what we made sure to happen right from the start was to have involvement from the effective group and key stakeholders, which included finance and the IT department not and also nursing. And it was all levels of nursing, not just the executive leadership team, but all the way down to the bedside nursing. And that was very implemental in making sure that implementing this system was going to be successful. We wanted to make sure the nurses understood what we were doing and why we were doing it. And it was really to make sure that we were getting the right staff to the right patient in the right time frame. So the system allows us to look at each patient and see what their actual acuity level is. So as we mentioned in our presentation, we at Children's Hospital actually staff to acuity unless it actually falls below that state mandated ratio law, we would still abide by that. However, with our acuity levels in our high census, we don't ever run into that issue. But our nurses know that we are assigning them appropriately and equitably because it's an objective system that directly pulls their charting that they're doing into the system to actually calculate out their patient acuity level, but also demand hours of care for that patient at that acuity level. So it allows our charge nurses to make equitable assignments based on what is happening with the patients on the unit at any given time. Great, and and I wanna repeat, um, you know, I, I'm not here and, I don't, and none of us are here to sell a specific product. I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing about the product that you use because that's what you used. Um, and maybe people can glean things from the thing, what we're talking about. And, and, and maybe they don't have a technology solution, but they can take some of these pieces out and turn it into a paper solution or some other form or another technology solution in their own environment. Right. 
Um, so uh, I know one of, I, I, obviously I don't want you, you don't need to disclose any proprietary information or anything. And if you don't want to talk about some of this stuff, let me know. But I noticed that one of the, um, one of the key components of uh, the technology that you're using is using the nursing outcomes classification um, for assignment of um, a nurses to patients. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right, so that the system we actually utilize, the technology is built upon that nursing outcome classification, which is why it's valid and reliable and has sustained throughout the, the time that we have been utilizing it and that at the time that the company that created it has um, done so. And so what it is is that it pulls the data that from the nursing charting, but it as underlying of where they are along that health continuum, that nursing classification outcome system is what kind of care, what interventions the nursing is doing, how does that affect the patient? What is the patient response to that intervention? Are they getting better? Are they staying the same? Are they getting worse? And that all calculates in the background of the system to pull those numbers, that acuity number and those demand hours of care. So it is based upon a reliable system uh, system that helps calculate that out yeah and it relies on data correct a, yes. a lot of data <laughs> and lot. pretty near real time correct data as yes. well so one of the things that caught my attention because um as a bedside nurse and this is sort of one of my i wouldn't necessarily say pet peeves but i'll say it pet peeves is is the amount of charting that we have to do and i always look at the charting and i ask myself what are we using this for? Right. You know, is anybody actually looking at this and why am I doing this? Right. Right. Um, so one of the first thing that kind of pops into my head when I see um, sort of what, you, what you're doing is I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, now I've just, now I've got to chart so much more, so much more now. Um, and you address that a little bit in your presentation. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So that's a great question because yes, nursing from the bedside said, if I could, if I chart this more, Will it affect my acuity? Will it give me more demand hours of care for that particular patient? And the, an the, the basic answer is no, because it's really what the response of that patient was to that um, intervention that you did, whether you did it one time or 10 times, it's what response did you get from that patient? Now, if you have to do it 10 times, obviously the patient didn't respond well in your, in, but that will show because it's based on that actual response to that. It actually has cut down on some of the charting because of the fact that you're just charting what you've done with the patient and it's the data, like you mentioned, the data is so rich and it's so meaningful because it actually calculates out the work you're doing into an actual number that nurse management can take to finance to show them this is how the value of the nurses at the bedside caring for the patients and being able to allow us to have the right amount of staff to care for the patients at those acuity levels, which is phenomenal for us. Right. And uh, one thing I want to add to that is I was the executive sponsor of this project, project, and the nurses said to me, yeah, I heard that the electronic health record was going to make my life easier, and it actually did add. And there's research showing anywhere from 12 to 30% more nurses work because of an electronic health record. And they so they were coming in as naysayers. Right. They were reluctant mm -hmm. to support this because they heard that before and they felt like it it was took a lot of time away from the bedside, which right. it this this research is showing that. So, you know, we did ensure them that this was going to pull from the data that was in the record. Wasn't gonna add any work to them but it was gonna validate what they were doing. Right. So there was some reluctance to support it, 
and a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with particular individuals who are more vocal to say really just trust me on this that we are really utilizing this to make your life easier right Right. It, and it's like any new system. It's difficult at first because the fear of the unknown mm -hmm. and what, what complications might come of it. Because I was one of those nurses. I was at the bedside <laughs> when we went to from paper to electron. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not a computer person. Sure. And before you know it, it, it's just like anything else. The more you utilize it, it becomes second nature, and you realize how much time it does actually save you from trying to figure out how you're going to word something subjectively to make sure it's painting a picture of what you were doing with the patient versus having drop downs and clicking a couple spots and and once you get used to doing that actual action you realize it's not as difficult and it does save you time yeah and it's really looking at the acuity of the patient not the tasks of the nurse right so we could talk forever so i gotta <laughs> yeah. I, I have to pay attention to the clock yeah. here. <laughs> um a couple of a couple of questions around sort of what we've been talking about here so i'm curious um it, do your do your nurses work on 12 standard 12 hour shifts or yes, yeah yes. um so do you so this is near real time i saw in the presentation sort of four hour blocks are you reassigning potentially reassigning nurses within a shift based on what you're seeing or like how does that work yes so we actually do reassign nurses based upon the change in status of different particular patients okay. if it if the, it deems it necessary so a, a patient situation could actually um decline in some aspect, but it might not decline to the point to where you would actually reassign that nurse because that uh, in itself as a bedside nurse, you would know right. all of a sudden your assignment's changing and you don't necessarily want that to happen, yeah, yeah. even if it, it's meaning that you're doing more work. Right. However, it is a conversation and we want to ensure that we are staying within that safe demand hours of care for that patient and that nurse. And so a lot of times it, it it's beneficial for the bedside nurse to have that assignment right. changed. And usually if you're declining patient, you're just getting another one taken away from you, not adding a different one to right. your workload. Yep. Okay. And then one, uh, there was a, a person in the audience who had a great question that I hadn't considered uh, until they, they brought it up. Um, so there are many things in the care of patient that you can chart and you can, you're aware of and people can kind of quantify. But then there's the somewhat unquantifiable piece of uh, if you're working and you've got a family who's got and who requires a lot of attention, that requires time as well. So how does that fit into this model? Right. So because it's based on the nursing outcome classification system, the psychological aspect of care is actually part one of the 13 sections that is pulling from the charting to actually calculate out that demand hours of care. So if you have ways in which to chart it and have those DTAs being pulled into the acuity system, it is able to calculate out hours of care for that, those particular situations. So as you mentioned, we're pediatric, so family-centered care is very important, and a lot of times the parent is involved in the care, but they may actually be impeding the nurse's ability to care for that patient based upon their own psychological needs. So we do have a way of charting where the caregiver may or may not be assistant or actually impeding the care, and that is calculated out. We worked with the nursing outcome classification to make sure we were giving it the correct Likert score to show a deviation from a normal family that is involved with the patient care. Yeah. And I, I, I do love the objective nature, or right. as best yes, we can, right. the objective right. nature. Correct. But, <laughs> but there are those outlier families where you know there's really dysfunction, there's a lot of disruption, and um, if there's more than it's actually accounting for in the acuity, 
and you need to make that patient a one-to-one, -one, you can do that and just put comments because there are certain shifts um, that there, and you know, everybody has something that comes to mind, I'm sure right now, but you can um, do that also. Okay. Yes, it allows you to add that extra one-to-one -one care necessary. Perfect. Um, we could probably talk for an hour, <laughs> but I'm going to skip uh, away from that for a little bit and uh, have Nancy talk a little bit about the current research project um, that she's been working on. Right. So um, I had shared in the presentation that I was approached by the um, uh, Academy of Nursing um, Big Data Group. They wanted to do a big data study to look at um, the outcomes of patients that are directly linked to the nurse. Some of the larger studies by Linda Aiken and others have been done looking at aggregate data from a hospital and then looking at aggregate data of the nursing staff, but not really directly linked from the, pa the nurse to the patient. So they had come up with a nursing value data model they wanted to test. So they asked me to do a pilot study. I said yes, not realizing how how involved it was, but I, it was a great learning opportunity for me. I have my PhD. I've done some work on outcomes in healthy work environments, patient outcomes and nurse outcomes, but I hadn't really done to the level of magnitude of a large big data study. So we met f via phone on a, almost a weekly basis for about a year and a half till we came up with the variables that are actually in the electronic health record to measure some of the things they wanted, and that actually was published in um, Nursing Voice, which is the American Organization of Nurse Leaders. Um, it, it was published this month um, in their, the preliminary information in the study that we showed t today in the presentation. But basically, we looked at the characteristics of the nurse, whether they had their, what degree they had, whether they had certification, years of experience, cost data that was individual to each nurse. And, um, and then looked at the staffing and acuity of the patient, and then looked at the um, electronic health record. Um, one of the issues in data collection is it was uh, very foreign to many of us at the hospital level, but working together with the researchers to be able to do this. And because it was the first of a test of the model, there were a lot of issues that we encountered along the way. Um, it really just identifying the variables and IRB submission, the IRB application was updated many times. But um, in a nutshell, some of the data that we're getting is actually the cost of care uh, for each individual patient. It also can look at the outcomes of the patient and the experience of the nurse. One of the um, items that they found is in the cardiothoracic ICU, the higher the acuity, the more the years of experience of the nurse, which is something we intuitively know, but now we actually have data to test the model. As we look at a paper for, paper performance system, <laughs> um, just as the physicians are they're looking at position outcomes and looking at possibly at some point uncoupling the charge for nursing away from the room and bed charge, which has been lumped in along with supplies and not really looking at the value that nurses bring to the table. This study um, will be very helpful, and John Welton at the Univers University of Colorado, who's done a lot of work uh, with Sharon Pappas on the value of nursing, um, uh, he was the PI at University of Colorado and got an AHRQ grant to look at the data. Um, but it, the data was so large, we couldn't look at it as a piece, at a PC before we sent it, 
So there were some issues with some of the data that was sent that we had to clean up um, along the way. But it's, it's very exciting to look at the preliminary data. I was concerned that the data wasn't going to show anything worthwhile, but the few things that we've been able to pull out, and it's taking John a while to get through the data, I'm very excited about seeing the outcomes. Great. So we've only just skinned the tippy top surface of this entire conversation. We could go on and on and on. Um, I would tell, I would say to people who are listening, if you're interested, um, it's pretty easy to uh, do a simple search in Google for Nancy Blake. Maybe throw in healthy work environments, throw in a few other keywords, and you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, and you can definitely, uh, there's plenty of reading to be done. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Fantastic. Um, so uh, so basically, uh, I know that you both really want to get to the NTI super session that's coming up. I don't want to keep you. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Critical Care Practitioner podcast today. If you'd like more information about AACN, NTI, or the association's policy and advocacy work, including healthy work environments and nurse staffing, please visit the AACN's website at www.aacn.org. Join the NTI conversations on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag NTI2019. And finally, I'd like to thank Gail and Nancy for joining us on the podcast. I'm John White. You can follow me on Twitter at TechNurseJohn. Check out other CC Practitioner podcasts and educational content on the web at www.criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk. You've been listening to Critical Care Practitioner. If you would like to comment on any of today's topics, find us at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk, tweet us at ccpractitioner, find us at facebook.com slash criticalcarepractitioner, or search Critical Care Practitioner on iTunes. <laughs>